Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. That's my take on how the the phones sound at KQED. This is Political Breakdown from KQED in San Francisco. I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, everything you need to know about Proposition 1 on the statewide ballot. It's a $6.4 billion bond measure to address several related problems, homelessness, drug addiction, and mental illness. KQED's politics correspondent Guy Marzarotti joins Olivia Allen-Price, host of Bay Curious, to break it all down for us. But first, Marisa Lagos is here to break down a few other things on the political landscape today. Hey, Marisa. Hey, Scott. So there are some continuing protests over the Israel-Gaza war. Uh, We saw last week a a short-term closure of the Golden Gate Bridge, and then this week, yesterday, in fact, in San Francisco, another group of hundreds of protesters shut down the entrance to Highway 101 off of Market Street. This is, uh, you know, this is an issue that is haunting Democrats, uh, not to mention the people who are directly involved. Um, Scott Weiner, who is part of the Jewish caucus in the state legislature, was part of a group that went to Israel uh, this past week. Let's hear a little bit of what he told KQED's Sarah Hosseini. The trip really uh, drove home and emphasized what I already knew, which is that uh, this war is uh, devastating. Uh, It's devastating to Palestinians in Gaza. It's devastating to Israelis. Uh, It's devastating to folks, Palestinians in the West Bank, and that ultimately the, the war needs to end and we need a political solution. And Marisa, obviously, that is a lot easier said than done. Well, right. And I think that this is why you see a lot of protesters out there, a sense that, you know, the United States government from Biden, President Biden on down, they feel like needs to be more engaged in pressuring the Israeli government. Um, and, and you know, we've seen what's happening in Rafah, where many people, most of the country has fled uh, this impending campaign. I just think there's a lot of hurt and anger and a sense that for folks who are concerned about the tens of thousands of people who have already died in Gaza, that, that there isn't a sort of effort by the Biden administration or folks even on down to Scott Wiener to really be pressuring Israel, even as we're considering giving them billions more in aid. Yeah, I agree. That is a perception. I would push back on the reality. I think the reality is they're trying very hard. Um, you know, Tony Blinken is back and forth and, uh, you know, they're talking to the Arab countries who really want to settle this and get back onto a two state solution track. The problem is, you know, in a word, Netanyahu. Uh, He has been intransigent. And unfortunately, uh, I think that his political viability depends on, you know, 
this war going on. Unfortunately, it's a terrible situation for everybody. Uh, we, we saw Rashida Tlaib, a uh, member of the, the Progressive Caucus in Congress from Michigan, calling on Democrats who are Arab American not to vote for Biden in the primary. And when that happens in a few weeks, I mean, this is um, this is serious stuff for the president. Yeah, for the president and I think Democrats up and down the ballot. I mean, uh, LaFonza Butler, who is the U.S. senator who you know was appointed to uh, replace Dianne Feinstein in California, was in San Francisco today getting questions about this being sort of um, you know, followed around by protesters. And I do think that, you know, what the Michigan, the, that, that attempt, I think, is, you know, a sense that this is a way that, you know, Democrats who are not on the same page as Biden around all of this could maybe send a message without going to the, you know, next step, which is saying don't vote for Biden in the fall. I think there's a lot of, you know, sort of steps between here and then. Um, but, you know, it will be fascinating to see, uh, you know, what folks like Scott Weiner coming back from that what are they saying in Sacramento? What are they pushing for uh, publicly or even behind the scenes? And President Biden is uh, flying right into an atmospheric river coming to Los Angeles today. He'll be in San Francisco tomorrow with uh, Nancy Pelosi and then Silicon Valley on Thursday. And, you know, it is for all the consternation and hand-wringing, Marisa, about Biden, his age, uh, his ability to wage, uh, you know, an energetic campaign against Donald Trump. The guy is raising money hand over yeah. fist, $42 million in January. I mean, it's pretty wild. And when you look at some of this, I mean, he has $130 million in the bank. That's more than any Democratic presidential candidate has ever had at this point. And something like 97 percent of these donations he's been getting are from donors of $200 or less. So while some very wealthy people will be hanging out with the president in L.A. Uh, this evening, I do think that you it, it, it does seem like there is some momentum behind him, some excitement on among the base, despite what polls are showing. Or maybe, I, I mean, who knows? But it, it is, these numbers are pretty eye-popping. And I think you have to put them in sort of comparison to not just, obviously, Trump hasn't started, um, you know, coordinating with the Republican National Committee because he's, the primary hasn't ended yet. Uh, but on top of that, you see all these legal bills, the judgments against his company, the judgments against him personally. Um, I think it does raise questions as to where that goes on the Republican side. Absolutely. And I mean, at the moment, I would have, think you have to say that the polls and the poll results are kind of theoretical, you know, kind of a, a feeling of, you know, what people have, what voters have. But when it really comes down to two individuals uh, who are really not super well liked by, uh, you know, by the vast majority of voters. We'll see where that goes. You know, it was interesting. I think Gavin Newsom, uh, who continues to be a very loyal defender of Biden, was asked about the age issue uh, at a press conference yesterday. And he said, you know, I am a little old fashioned. I'm quoting here. I care about results. I care about governing. I care about people that deliver. I care about people's record and what Biden has accomplished. Uh, and he goes on to say just the list of accomplishments. And I think there is a certain amount of truth to that. I mean, we just saw that list of uh, his historians' best and worst presidents come out uh, over on President's Day. And, you know, Biden, I think, was 14th. Trump was dead last. Uh, but, you know, voters don't really pay attention to those things. And it, it really is so much elections are so much about how you feel, either personally about the economy or about a person. Well, and this gets back to what we were talking about just a moment ago, which is the Gaza-Israel conflict. And I think that for different voters, there might be sort of one or two issues that rise to the top. And I do think that that is going to be a really tough sort of needle to thread because Biden needs to keep, you know, his base. He needs to excite young people and people of color um, who are overwhelmingly concerned. Um, you know, the Jewish community has been a huge donor base and uh, just like political base for the Democratic Party. So 
there's a lot of things that he needs to consider beyond, you know, the economy and the border and all of those other issues that may be the deciding factor for a whole group of other voters. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think all of this was sort of accentuated by a couple of high profile uh, podcasters, Ezra Klein being one of them, calling for uh, the president to go through the primaries and then release all of his delegates and let the convention decide who the nominee is going to be. That would be exciting for us. We'll be covering the convention. We'll be there. <laughs> but uh, probably not likely to happen. Um, before we go, I uh, want to mention that tonight in Los Angeles, weather permitting, there is going to be uh, another, probably the final debate between the four top uh, candidates for the U.S. Senate. And you got to think, I mean, P- Katie Porter needs to do something yep. to get herself into the top two. Absolutely. This is her moment. Uh, the latest pullout today shows Steve Garvey ahead of her, the Republican, in order to make this a face-off with Congressman Adam Schiff, another high-profile Democrat. She really is going to need to convince some of those undecided voters um, and, and just break through. I think it's been a little challenging. The last one, the candidates felt a little low energy, so we'll see what they bring tonight and whether she's going after Garvey or Schiff or just everyone. Yeah, exactly. And we were saying earlier that she's probably, she seems a little frustrated, you know, that she's falling behind somebody who really doesn't know much about public policy and politics. All right, we are going to take a very short break. And when we come back, everything you need to know about Proposition 1. It is the one and only statewide ballot measure in the March primary. You're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And for the rest of today's show, Proposition 1 on the statewide ballot. It deals with homelessness, addiction, and mental illness. KQED politics correspondent Guy Marzarati teams up with our colleague Olivia Allen Price to break it all down from the podcast Bay Curious. Here's Olivia. It is always a pleasure when prop voting time rolls around because it means I get to talk to KQED politics correspondent Guy Maserati. Hey, Guy. Hey, Olivia. It's been a minute, but here we are in a big election year. One of the first decisions that California voters are going to make is which way to go on Prop 1. That's right. Proposition 1 is actually two pretty big ideas that are rolled up into one proposition. So it's a bond measure. It's also a reallocation of existing funds. So this was placed on the ballot by the state legislature because... They need to go to the voters to get approval if they want to issue a bond. They also need to go to the voters to make a change to a ballot measure that voters previously approved back in 2004. So here we are. We'll go step by step through all the moving parts of this one. But first, Guy, can you walk us through the problems that Proposition 1 is aiming to solve? Yeah, the big idea behind the proposition is focusing state dollars on people who are experiencing homelessness and who have severe behavioral health issues. So we know 
Californians who are experiencing homelessness, it's not a monolith. You have people who maybe, you know, fell behind on rent, maybe people who are just looking for an affordable place to live. Prop 1 is not focused on those folks. But there are a lot of people who are experiencing homelessness in California who have added challenges on top of that. UCSF did their massive study of the state's homeless population. They found 27% of people living without shelter have been hospitalized for a mental health issue. They also found 65% of those people who are living without shelter have reported heavy substance abuse. These are the kinds of people who a Prop 1 is aimed at helping. So the idea is that of all the people in the state who are facing mental health challenges, these Californians, the ones who are living on the streets or at risk of living on the streets, are the ones who need to be prioritized. And so that's where you get to kind of the political piece of all of this, which is that homelessness is a top priority for voters, especially kind of the visible suffering of people that you see on the streets. That's become such a huge political issue. And it's become a big issue for the man who is backing Prop 1, Governor Gavin Newsom. This is part of his kind of big swing to try to fix this issue. Okay, and broadly, what are we considering in Proposition 1? So voters are being asked if the state should borrow money to build treatment facilities, build supportive housing, and if it should also change how existing mental health money gets spent, mainly by using more of that mental health money to build housing. Let's dig into the details a bit more now. Like we said a minute ago, this prop has sort of two arms, and I want to start with that first arm, the bond. Now, a quick bond refresher. A bond is essentially a loan the government takes out to fund certain projects. In this case, it's a loan the state will pay back with interest over the next 30 years. Right. So Prop 1 would allow the state to borrow money by issuing $6.38 billion in bonds. Most of that money, about $4.4 billion, is going to go towards building treatment facilities. Now, this is for, like we mentioned, the thousands of Californians who have mental health needs, who have substance abuse issues, who are at risk or are actually living on the streets. So that could be kind of a short-term crisis care facility or longer term, you know, residential facilities, rehab communities, and even, you know, some outpatient services. So that's about $4.4 billion. Then the rest of the measure, roughly $2 billion, that's going to go towards building affordable apartments that come with kind of on-site behavioral health services. Of that $2 billion, now we're breaking this down further, of that $2 billion, about $1 billion would be specifically for veterans who have behavioral health challenges. Again, we're talking about helping people who are most visibly suffering, people who are having, you know, psychotic episodes on the street, people who are living in tents. So what is all this investment actually going to do? Supporters of Prop 1 say by spending this bond money, they're going to be able to create 4,350 housing units another 6,800 treatment slots. Obviously, this is all a drop in the bucket for the overall homeless population in California, which is estimated to be more than 180,000 people. Here's Newsom. The reforms that took place in the late 50s and the 60s and the 70s, that that bipartisan endeavor uh, around deinstitutionalization. We had a peak, 37,000 beds in the state of California in the 60s, 37,000 beds. Today, it's about 5,500. Guy, is there more detail on how this money will be allocated, like specific projects or even how much would go to, say, Alameda County versus Los Angeles County or anything like that? Right. That all hasn't been laid out yet. I will say Newsom's chief of staff uh, talked to KQED last summer about this prop. She said the administration, even though this had just started to move towards the ballot, 
they're already looking at locations to build or refurbish uh, potential places with this bond money. I think really acknowledging that the process of building anything in California just takes a really long time. I think it's always worth remembering that bond money isn't free. If voters approve it, how will this bond impact Californians over time? Right. So California would have to repay the bond back over 30 years out of the state's general fund. That's where all our tax money ends up. And that works out to about $310 million a year, which because we're talking about a really massive state budget, it's actually only about one half of 1% of the general fund. Now, the state would have to pay interest on top of all that. So over the course of three decades, we'd pay about $9 billion not adjusted for inflation to pay back what is a $6.38 billion bond on the ballot. Okay, now on to the second arm of Proposition 1. So this measure would change how money collected for mental health services under Prop 63, which passed in 2004, is distributed. Guy, start by taking us back 20 years to when voters approved the Mental Health Services Act. Yeah, this was really wild for me going back and looking at the coverage of that campaign back in 2004, because the issues that the supporters of Prop 63 were trying to address are so similar to what supporters of Prop 1 are talking about right now. It's basically a feeling that since those state hospitals closed, California really stopped providing the necessary care for people who have these severe mental health challenges. And the result has been those same people end up on the streets, in tents, in our county jails. So What the Mental Health Services Act did back in 2004 was create this 1% tax on income over $1 million. It's since been kind of colloquially known as the millionaire's tax. And that created this new bucket of money that the state could use for mental health services. So voters passed the Mental Health Services Act, which generates between $2.5 and $3 billion per year. And that money now funds about a third of mental health services budgets for counties around the state. What counties especially like about this money is they have a lot of say in how it gets used. There aren't a lot of strings attached. Daryl Steinberg, who is currently the mayor of Sacramento, back then in 2004, he was in the legislature and actually helped write the original Mental Health Services Act. He says the measure has been successful. It's paid for a lot of services all across the state, from counseling to drop-in centers to early intervention, having people come into schools and classrooms and help teachers identify kids who might have mental health challenges. But he says the reason that all these years later, he's now one of the leading supporters of changing it is because there hasn't been enough focus on housing. I think the counties have actually spent the money well. But what they haven't done is spent it in a way that was focused on the most critical issues affecting our state. So the trade-off that supporters of Prop 1 are pitching to voters is basically, let's give up the flexibility in how this money is spent in exchange for adding greater focus, specifically focus on housing. Tell me more about how they would limit flexibility that the counties have. So under Prop 1, if it passes, counties would be required to spend 30 percent of that millionaire tax money they get from the state specifically on housing. So that could mean providing rental subsidies, building new housing, converting things like motels into housing with supportive services. So this would leave counties then with less money to spend on some of the other programs and services they've been providing in the mental health space. So they need to find the money elsewhere or 
in the case a lot of opponents are, are concerned about, they would need to scale back or cut some of these programs. Paul Simmons is one of the leaders of the No on Prop 1 campaign. He recently led Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance California, which provides peer support for people with depression, bipolar disorder. He says service providers in similar positions are really worried. Adult respite centers and wellness centers are very, very much at risk. All peer support programs are just scared to death right now that they're going to lose any funding they got from from the MHSA funding. And you also have county governments who are really concerned about Prop 1 because right now they're the ones that are getting this millionaire's tax money. They are concerned that more of this money would go to the state. The state wants more say on how the millionaire's tax money is spent. So you have many county supervisors who have come out against Prop 1 They're concerned that if it passes, they're going to have to cancel contracts with community-based organizations or even perhaps reduce county staff. Right now, 95 percent of that millionaire tax money goes to counties. What would that look like under Prop 1? Under Prop 1, it would be more like 90 percent, with the state using its cut for things like increasing just the number of mental health care workers. And one other change I should note here is that counties under Prop 1 would be able to spend some of this money on housing for folks who just have drug and alcohol addiction challenges, you know, substance abuse issues. They may not have a dual diagnosis mental health issue. And right now, all of the Mental Health Services Act funding under Prop 63, the millionaire's tax, all of that has to be used for people with mental health conditions. This would actually change the name of the entire thing to the Behavioral Health Services Act. Mm, I see. So by calling it the Behavioral rather than the Mental Health Services Act, it really broadens out the group of people who could be served by the money. Guy, would this increase taxes for anybody? No, and this is actually what makes this kind of controversial. It doesn't increase the millionaire's tax that funds the current Mental Health Services Act. So opponents of Prop 1 say you have the same pot of money, you're just stretching it in all these new directions by trying to focus on housing. Now, supporters like Newsom will say that's not the whole picture. There are all these other initiatives happening, you know, like CalAIM, which try to get, for example, health plans to pay for some of these mental health services that Prop 63, the Mental Health Services Act, has been doing for the last 20 years. What else do opponents have to say about this one? So I think just like we broke down the measure into a couple parts, it might be helpful to break down where opponents are coming from on this pretty pretty complex measure. So let's start with the bond. You have the state borrowing a lot of money to build these treatment facilities, supportive apartments. So you have conservatives, anti-tax groups like the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. They oppose taking on that debt. And then there's other conservatives who kind of jump on and say, we also don't agree with the housing first policy here, which is when someone with, say, a substance abuse problem is given housing before going through treatment. And then there's another piece of this, which is about what kind of housing can be built with this bond money, because Prop 1 actually allows the money to be spent on locked facilities. These are, you know, places where people might get placed as a result of a conservatorship where treatment is not voluntary. And this is pretty controversial. You get opposition not from conservatives on this, but you get opposition from groups like Disability Rights California, for example, who say these kind of lock facilities violate civil liberties and don't have proven outcomes. Now, supporters of Prop 1 say this is not going to be a huge piece of all the new facilities that get built, but that's really an open question going forward. And what about the changes to how the existing Prop 63 millionaire's tax money is spent? Who is opposed to that? Yeah, that piece of Prop 1 is opposed by some service providers, folks like Paul Simmons, who say 
If you're focusing on helping people who are the most visible, have the most acute needs, that's a poor investment if you're taking that money from programs that try to provide help with mental health, substance abuse, when people are in school or when they're in counseling. But really what they're doing, from my perspective, is to take the money from the early intervention, take it from the upstream part, and throw it all into downstream, you know, where people are having more trouble and, in fact, forcing more people downstream. And so folks like Simmons are worried that if California puts less funding toward preventative upstream programs that support people, you know, before their problems are most severe, we're actually going to worsen some of the state's problems. And who is in support of Proposition 1? Yeah, the biggest name in support is Governor Gavin Newsom. You know, for all the attention he's gotten on political stunts, campaigning across the country, debating Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the biggest policy focus he's had in Sacramento has been at this intersection of behavioral health and homelessness. So just in the last few years, the governor signed bills to create care courts. So this kind of compels treatment, housing for people with severe mental illness. He also has signed bills making it easier to place people in a conservatorship. Prop 1 is the latest step in that direction. Uh, This is, I think, the last big piece. Um, We've got, we've just, we've radically changed the way we're doing business. We've created more flexibility, more tools, more accountability, more resources. Uh, Now we just need, we need more beds. And I think what's notable about Prop 1 is just the size of the coalition supporting it. So both these ideas, the bond measure and then these changes to mental health spending, they both passed with huge uh, majorities in the legislature last year. Support from Democrats, support from Republicans. Now, you might say like, oh, when the governor comes out and says, this is my top priority, everyone's going to get in line. But I also think it's a fact that the broken status quo we see, people just visibly suffering on the street, that touches a lot of different parts of society. So you have You know, leaders of California hospitals supporting this. They see many of these residents end up in their emergency rooms. You have groups representing firefighters, law enforcement behind this. They often get called to respond when someone is having a mental health episode. And then you have what might be the biggest group of backers, which are mayors. You know, they feel directly, you know, accountable to voters for what residents see on the street. And it's why you have mayors like London Breed in San Francisco so vocally in support of Prop 1. I was just out in the Tenderloin and San Francisco, and it is clear that we need people to get the support that they need, especially those suffering from mental health and substance use disorder. Let's get into campaign spending. What does it look like on this prop? Spending is very lopsided for this prop. You have supporters having raised more than $11 million to help push this measure through. Opponents, on the other hand, just about $1,000. Wow. So really kind of David and Goliath on the on the, on the spending front. front for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, KQED political correspondent Guy Maserati, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Olivia. That was KQED's Guy Maserati and Olivia Allen Price. You can check out more Bay Curious episodes at kqed.org. And that is a wrap for Tuesday, February 20th. Political Breakdown is a production of KQED. Our engineer is Catherine Monahan. Our producer is Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.